Now, Christianity has its 13th apostle, a faithful witness to the love, mercy, and truth of Jesus Christ. How about you? Will you be the 13th apostle? Half a century ago, there were more than 14,000 women religious in Ireland. Today, that number stands closer to 4,000, with an average age that is over 80. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The 13th Apostle, where we explore the good, beautiful, and true of the Catholic faith and the Catholic Church, and the uh, troubling parts of uh, the Church. This is Tom Caffrey with my co-host, Dan Duddy. Hey, Dan. Hey, Tom. When I was reading this article in America Magazine, the magazine of the Jesuits, I, I got to one part in that, and I don't remember exactly which part it was. My mind, suddenly, the image, I didn't intentionally seek it, it came into my head, of a scene in that movie, The Quiet Man, starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara, and I pictured the, uh, and I know you've seen that movie, you may not remember this scene, but uh, it's early on in the movie and it shows the conclusion of a mass. And it's a, I believe it's a weekday mass, but it's an old dark church and it looks like, if I remember correctly, there's about five or seven people in attendance. And it almost makes me think, okay, well, Ecclesiastes is nothing new under the sun. But you know, it's, that's not accurate because in the 1930s and 40s, the Irish church was... Let me be careful how I use my words here. I, I don't necessarily want to say a better, in a better state. And I almost did. But if we're ju- we, we, we would say that in the context of just numbers, then as that opening comment I made uh, of the statistic, 14,000, there was 50 years ago, there were more than 14,000 women religious, and now there's 4,000 with the average age of over 80. Uh, we have similar problems in the U.S. with religious sisters uh, vanishing. And this article was also talking about priests, you know, the priesthood. And you know, I, so uh, I wonder what you, um, your first thoughts on after reading the article and thinking about this. Sure, yeah. And I'm sorry I jumped in on that pause there. I thought you were... No, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm going to jump in and jump back out, let you kind of steer this, and uh, I'll counterpunch or get in there with you. I was in, uh, I was 28 years old, I think it was, I think I was 20, 28, when I went to Ireland for the first time with a buddy of mine who is uh, not a Catholic. And what year would that have been? I think, I think it was 84. Does it make sense that I was 28? Yeah, but it was, I know it was 84. It was the year before I, uh, 83 or 84. Yeah. So why do you ask? Because you want to take in comparison to the church then? Well, talking about the change in Ireland in 87, I believe it was, 86 or 87, somewhere around mm-hmm. there, they had they changed their tax law. And okay. Ireland, which was poor, it seems like it was forever poor, um, became what was known and still is known as the Celtic Tiger. 
the change in the tax law had a tremendous impact. And so I was wondering, uh, you know, what, what year in, in the context of that change in the tax law and seeing certain changes in that. Because the last thing I'll say about that and get back to what you were saying is the correlation between inc- less poverty and less re- religiosity. Yeah, so that that's pretty that's pretty interesting, that, and I'd love to see you take take us in that direction. I'm a Irish Catholic. Um, I think I'm fourth generation uh, from Ireland, I, and I, I walked the streets when I was there in '84. To uh, I have I had all my family names. Uh, I didn't do the uh, you know the swab uh, thing in the mouth, but I had uh, I had an uncle that kept a great re- you know recording of all the all the names the. Uh, uh, family Irish names, so I was able to do that. But my my point is that wherever I went in '84, and I, w- I wasn't really practicing then my my Catholic faith, but I could see that the church was vibrant because I remembered my family talking about the vibrancy of the church, you know, as it was handed down from generation to generation, having come from Ireland, and that was that was that was the big thing. You know, we we always felt that the churches were packed over there, uh, so. I, I did feel the vibrancy of the church. I remember feeling, I must confess, guilty that I that I wasn't practicing, in spite of my uh, lineage, you know. And but I went back in 2016, having become very much practiced in my faith, having met Mora in '85 and getting married in '86, and went back, re-knowing with a greater knowledge of, I should say, you know, getting refreshed in the church again. But now really digging into it, and it, it the church was dead over there. I mean, it was it was dead. I mean, beautiful, you know, huge uh, cathedrals with maybe twenty people uh, in there. You know, and that was uh, once again 2016. So I witnessed the uh, I'll call it the temporary stagger of the church because I'm an optimist. I'm not going to call it a fall, but it but it was staggering then. But, but this article, and you're going to go back to it, I find, I find some positives in it. Well, in the, I mean, in 2015, Ireland was the, uh, they were the first country in the world to legalize gay marriage. Um, in fact, survey after survey, or commentary on survey after survey, talked about Ireland as a post-Catholic state. Uh, in 2018, they uh, repealed the constitutional ban on abortion. And um, so and we had talked a little bit about this probably back then because I remember one of us making the comment that the Irish church had lost its moral standing because it was in the well, it was over a period of years that the unfolding of the abuse, the sex abuse scandals came out, just like in here. And yet, it's different. It was more impactful in Ireland because Ireland was a Catholic country. Right. You know, we're not. Um, in fact, in some ways, just the opposite, you know, in terms of early on in our history, the concern about being a, you know, who was a papist. You know, your divided loyalty. You're 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 really answering to to your pope, you know, and then to America, which is why John F. Kennedy had had such a great challenge in his political life and leading up to his campaign for uh, president. 
where he was emphatic in disavowing that notion that he would be deferring to the Pope when it comes to American policy. So Ireland was a Catholic country, America was not, and so this was a huge impact. The church in Ireland had, uh, you know, what they said went. But once these scandals hit, boom, I mean, you, you could hear the collapse of the Irish church. Yeah, and uh, the manifestation of the Irish influences in Boston, I mean, it rolled right across the, the Atlantic into Boston, and churches were becoming boarded up left and right. And Boston had been ground zero for the Catholic Church in the United States. So the, the Irish effect, and you know, Boston being so Irish, Irish-American, uh, it once again trickled right across the sea. Uh, but, but it was, you know, founded upon, by and large, the, the scandal. You know the the, uh, the scandals, especially in Boston, from what I know. And I, I'm not a Boston guy, but I'm a Catholic guy. But I had been doing quite a bit of traveling up, back and forth into Boston. You're, wait, you're not denigrating Boston? By no means. What I'm saying is, I was able to see. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Maybe the maybe the Red Sox. That's I, mean, I wanted to tease it a little bit, see if we could get the, tenderize out, right? you a little bit, and yeah. Well, you know. Deacon Chuck Kelly might be listening, so I can't let, I got to <laughs> give a little dick to the socks there. Go Yankees. But yeah, I could see, I could see it like it was a slow deterioration, you know, what was happening in, uh, in Boston. And yeah, it was heartbreaking because I, I always felt that wonderful vibe, that Irish Catholic vibe uh, whenever I went up there. And it really was a, that was a knockout. That, 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 that's a knockout punch happening there. And I could see it in the youth. Uh, the reason why I went up there were for, for youth-based purposes. And, uh, and we're going to get into this maybe in another episode, but now I'm teaching theology in, in high school. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's comatose, absolutely comatose. But it doesn't mean that, you know, we can't have hope and we can't keep shaking that body until it wakes up. Well... The, yeah, you never give up uh, hope. The question is, what exactly, you know, for what specifically are we hoping? And in the article, they they also highlight two documentaries um, in this article in uh, in America. It's the, uh, let me see, let me see, yeah, the date of this uh Issues in January in this article is by Kevin Hargaden, H-A-R-G-A-D, as in David, E-N, as in Nancy, dated January 24th, 2024. And, uh, and the title is The Last Priests and Nuns in Ireland, Exploring the Irish Catholic Church's Steep Decline. Now, again, going back to language and what do words mean, what's the, what's the meaning behind that headline? Um, well, every headline trying needs to grab somebody's attention, and you know if it's something where you're selling, well, then you want to really grab the attention because you want to sell. But you know, in one sense, this steep there is a, we're talking about the steep decline in absolute numbers, you know, big time, and uh, also talking about the influence of the church and culture by those two. Uh, well, terrible uh, uh, votes um, about uh, same-sex marriage and uh, 
abortion in a Catholic country. And uh, so, but this is saying, this article, and this really gets to, I think, any, any discussion of the church in the West. So we'll say Europe, North America, especially Canada and the U.S., in the US uh, Australia, New Zealand, so in, in the West. And the you know, vacations are down pretty much uh, everywhere. Uh, what, you know, churches are going to close. They have, we've had many closures in New Jersey, just in our, uh, but, there, you know, I'm sure throughout the 50 states, uh, parishes have consolidated. Uh, it's very discouraging when you see billions going out, billions of dollars going out uh, to pay for the sex scandals, you know, the legal fees and settlements and this and that. And so, uh, but what, what's going to fill in, you know, there's no, you got to fill a vacuum. So I'm not sure whether, you know, from your reading of the article, whether you got a sense as to what, and and maybe overall, but from the article and overall, just your thoughts about it. Sure. What do you see as, as knowing the problems, what do you see as, uh, that, that's going to fill the vacuum of what, what we thought the church was. I'll say one last thing, just to, then to tee it up for you, is that in the article it was, and I've heard this elsewhere, that the Irish church, and not just the Irish church, but the Irish church for sure, was over-sacramentalized. Right, right. Yeah. And I can relate to that a little bit. Uh, I, I kind of know what that means, because my... I would say my grandparents and even more recent than my grandparents, I've kind of witnessed what that means. And I actually, I've actually lost one of my children to another church, another denomination, I think because of that very reason, which I could not understand until I started to see her in action. And she had animosities towards some people who, who, who I'll say, were very sacramentalized, okay, and that, you know, the terms that were constantly coming out of the Catholic mouth, the verbiage, you know, uh, but but the actions didn't seem to follow the verbiage, you know, like plenary indulgences and holy hour and things like that, which are absolutely unbelievable, necessary, beautiful, and, you know, I love the, the liturgy and the structure of the church, and the structure of the institution of the church, but what I... A couple of things about the article. I watched a review, Tom, of the uh, movies by a by a priest and an Irish priest, and his concern was that RTE, the media that put the the documentaries out there, which I don't know, it's Irish, so I, you know, I have enough issues to try to figure out where I'm at. <laughs> but he said that they they portray priests as either a pedophile or a comedian or a clown, one way or the other. I know that comedian. Yeah. The right? show, it was show. Father sh- Ted, Father right? Ted, yeah. And I didn't, yeah. a friend of mine was yeah. recommending it to me, and I didn't like it because it was like, you know, like any, like a father or a dad in the U.S. sitcoms where they're fools. This guy was like a yeah, fool. Yeah, exactly. But, but that's, that yeah. was, but that are, but you're talking about the documentaries. But yeah, we're but talking about the reality of what's happening in Ireland. Yeah, I know, I'm getting there. So, what, 
What has been said about the realities of what's happening in Ireland, I can only get from people who are coming from Ireland. This article quotes people from Ireland, what what I know. But they're they're saying that the church needs to become less sacramentalized and more missionary and layman-based. Now, in Tyler, Texas, we had Bishop Strickland not say less sacramentalized, but he was saying we all need to become more— the church needs to become more layman-based, and the layman needs to step forward and go back to first-century Christians— and go back to the fundamentals of Christ. And that being said, I'm going to jump into uh, Pope Pope Benedict. And, you know, he, he, he proclaimed the church as a person. He was profoundly adamant about the church being a person, which it is. But where is this person? And where is this person in Ireland? And, like, how vibrant is this person? This is where we need to have a gut check, I think all of us do. Is this person a boy or a man? Is this person a girl or a woman? And you know what I like to say? Boys take, men give. Girls take, women give. I think it's really, really time once again that we need to stop waving the, the surrender flag like the church is failing. And we need to, we really truly need to become that person. I think, and as much as this priest in the review was kind of putting down the documentaries, I think there's also something really good to be said about this article proclaiming and pulling the person of the youth forward because the youth is becoming vibrant, according to this article, in the church. We can't say that. I don't think we can say that in America right now. So I would say that's a small, it's a small number. It might be a small number, but what number is big in Ireland right now with regards to building the church? I think it's a fire that needs to be fanned, and I do believe but now for that what? I'm back in the classroom to enable to wake our youth up to the person of not only the, their own self, first of all, to their own self, because they're never going to really understand the vibrancy and the humanity of creation, which will bring them to the heart of Christ. Right now, I mean, you wouldn't believe the coldness, the separation, the aloofness of the young people that I have in the classroom in a Catholic high school with regards to the Son of Man. we got to bring them to the Son of Man first, as he did. He walked as the Son of Man first and then brought us to divinity, the Son of God. And I think we need to start pretty much all over again and go back to that and, you know, be those gutsy disciples that were formed, you know, in the upper room. And and it, it starts in family. I think with all my heart that Jesus, Joseph, and Mary was the church, the first church. It was a domestic church. And those apostles, like Peter went back to his family, you know. Peter formed his family. And, and in fact, in The Chosen, one of the nicest, best scenes I saw was he came home for a stint, and his wife said, what are you doing here? You got major work to do. Uh, get back out there, you know. Uh, it's all about the person of Christ we need to go back to. Yeah. I'm we sorry, I can't help that my the way my mind works. And I was, I've referred to you as Peter many times. And I just had the image of you coming home with your fishing rod. <laughs> and Morris saying, what are you doing here? Get back out there. <laughs> That's because she's hungry, and I didn't catch anything. <laughs> and she loves fish. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that, you know, in terms of, in terms of the statistics and but how this impacts every Western country. What, 
you know, this hyper-sacramentalized, the, uh, I almost said hypersexualized, which is also part of the problem. Yeah, but, Freudian, you know, Freudian slip, no joke. Go ahead. Yeah. The, uh, you go to, I was telling my son Kevin this today, we're talking about the article, I'm talking about uh, this tonight's episode. And by the way, we're, uh, this is uh, Ash Wednesday, uh, where we're recording this, um, and St. Valentine's Day as well. Uh that the way I've heard, I heard this years ago where Joe goes to Mass on Sunday, goes to hell Monday through Friday, maybe goes to confession on Saturday, goes to Mass on Sunday. So it was all about if there were two sacraments, it was confession on uh, confession on Saturday, Mass on Sunday, and then people saw the way you were Monday through Friday. And that was, and that's traditional in terms of, certainly from a medieval period, and I mean the early Middle Ages, 600, something like that, where, I mean, uh, where we became so focused on just the sacraments, the liturgy, mm-hmm. and we got away from, as you said, got away from the person. Who is that person? Well, Dan, you're you're that person. I'm the exactly. person. Yes. So what am I doing for Dan? What is Dan doing for Tom? That's what are right. we doing for us? How are we doing that mission? That's a that's a mission church, and the younger Catholics or younger people. Forget about younger Catholics. There's, a, there's not nearly as many of them. The younger people they want that mission. They're so focused on social justice. Now, Catholics don't really. You know, we have social teaching. I mean, we could say social justice, but you know, that gets confused with social justice warriors and things that we don't, um, that are opposed to the Catholic faith. But Catholic social teaching is is beautiful. Yeah. And we've gotten, so, so, too often we've, it's been de-emphasized or neglected. And uh, but you don't want the opposite either. You don't want to say, "Oh well, I'm not going to go," which is what's happening though. You've got a, again with young people, but young and middle-aged people, where they're not going to the sacraments anymore, but they are doing social, social work, so to speak. Not necessarily in the name of Christ. Some of them are, but uh, because they just think it's the right thing to do. That's a really good point. You know, this is kind of like going where they are and, uh, you know, extract and show them the virtues that they're, that they're displaying through, you know, social justice and their, their activities, and then bring, of course, those virtues to, to the Son of Man. And a lot of people yeah. think they're going to go to hell because yeah, they're no longer participating in the sacraments, but they're doing, they're helping, they're, they're the Good Samaritan. Yeah, but I mean, the sacramentalized part must exist. It still remains. My goodness, yes, but it's the person of Christ that brought us to Holy Thursday. Yeah, but so if they're if they're the Eucharist, if they're behaving like pagans now, which is which is which I believe is happening, and I've read many articles about that. It's kind of like we've come full circle, but like the church. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for, Dan? The, the church took advantage, in, in a good way, the, um, uh, took advantage of pagan, I mean, even the, the holidays of Easter and, and Christmas and whatnot. The, they took advantage of of how what the energy was in these cultures while they were converting them. They didn't throw their, all their culture in the dumpster. They took that, and what I wonder if we could do this, and this is what I think the article, one of the things with the article where there was some encouragement is, 
if we're reverting back to paganism in a way, and I do think we are, there's no doubt that we are, with the younger people anyway, that can eventually, with the power of the Holy Spirit, co-opt, you know, again, take advantage of where we are. This might take 50, 100 years, 200 years, but... Okay, we're gonna we're gonna use this energy to do the pagan. Let's say let's reintroduce this guy named Jesus, and you brought up the chosen. You know that's got tremendous popularity, and that that's that's about that's like Catholic social teaching. That's a TV series on Catholic social teaching. What Jesus does. No, but but he's so human in the chosen. He's so real. Yeah, he's a person. And the per, that person, there's no evidence of hyper 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 sacramentalized. Well, I think the one, one of the many bonding things about our relationship is that we've always felt that it was in our charism as working two by two that we were going to do our best to bring people to a three-dimensional level, our people in the Bible, and of course our Lord Jesus Christ and everyone that surrounds them, is to make them real. And that's, if you think about what these kids are seeing every day in TikToks and just the this superficial, not even kissing humanity, uh, the true humanity, it's, it's, the, it's so the anti-Christ, it's so anti the, the deep humanness of the Son of Man who brought us to the Son of God. And uh, it's a tough nut, but we're, we're here for a reason. We're, we're here in 2024, Tom, for a reason. Yeah. Well, yeah. So if the, numbers, if the numbers keep going down, there's that vacuum, you know, we we're going to... We'll try to do our, we'll do our best to um, play our role in filling that vacuum and giving, yeah. you know, witnessing with that, we're the early Christians, I always say, let's go back to the early Christians. Exactly. You know? uh, once again, uh, yep. Uh, our, our Bishop, uh, Bishop Strickland, who banged heads with, with the Pope, but I loved it when he said we need to go back. You know, we got to go back to first century Christians and back to our Lord and Savior, have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is what our Protestant brothers and sisters say. Uh, we need to do that and be sacramentalized. All right, brother. What's coming up next? Stay tuned, folks, for the Angelus and your prayer intentions with Peter and Jimmy. Yeah, so what, uh, ladies and gentlemen, what are you going to do about that person, the person near you, the person you're going to see tomorrow, uh, maybe later today? You're going to witness those early Christians. That's our challenge. They stayed when the plagues came. They stayed with the oppression. So we got to be like the early Christians. That's right. All right. WQPHradio.org. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we look forward to your company in our next episode. God bless you, Danny. God bless you, Tommy. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to The 13th Apostle with Dan Duddy and Tom Caffrey. For more information on Dan, visit his website at www.danduddy.com or email dcduddy at gmail.com. Tom's website is faithpilgrims.com or email trcaffrey at faithpilgrims.com. How about you? Will you be The 13th Apostle?